Do you wonder if others are dealing with the same project management challenges as you? Not sure where to turn for guidance and leadership? Office Hours are in session as we discuss project management and PMOs with global leaders, hearing their story and learning their secrets to success. Our goal is to empower you and help you elevate your PMO and project management career to new heights. Welcome back to Project Management Office Hours with your host, PMO Joe. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe, and for the next hour, we'll be talking project management with our special guest. Before we jump into the show, uh, as everybody knows, I like to do some announcements up front and just wanted to share... A couple of weeks ago, on September 30th, I attended the Playbook Conference presented by Trainual, and it was an amazing event with intimate discussions with uh, leaders from some household name brands telling their story as leaders for attendees to be able to interact with them, ask questions. There were some big names there. Shaquille O'Neal, the basketball player in his post-career is now an entrepreneur, and he shared some of his important lessons now as a business owner. Gary V was there as well, sharing some of his uh, insights, but also leaders from Zenefits, Animals, Boba Guys, Strava, Loom, Bombas, and more. And hearing leaders tell their story and take questions is so important to be able to understand what they went through to achieve success. Uh, so often, we think of leaders just, they're leaders, right? But they don't, we don't know the journey or appreciate the journey that they went on to get there. And if you have a chance uh, to be able to go out to look at that, it's Trainual, train U O with a T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L. And we'll be having the CEO of that company, Chris Ronzio, on as a guest in December to get his perspective on that event. Uh, it looked like he and his brother, when they were interviewing Shaq, uh, we're giddy fans uh, in the groupies talking to a, a basketball player that they've looked up to their whole career. So uh, interesting to get what they think about that. Of course, also want to thank our sponsors, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. You can go out to their respective sites and learn more about what they have to offer. And of course, everyone, please go out and visit the Project Management Office Hours website to be able to check out all of our past episodes and what we have planned coming up. All right. So today, very excited to have with us one of the big names in our industry, Ricardo Vargas. Welcome, Ricardo. Hello, Joe. Hello, everyone. Very glad to be here talking with you. And uh, you, I believe, are joining us from Brazil by way of originally... No, I'm in Portugal today. Yeah. Oh, you're in yeah, Portugal no, today. I'm, I'm living currently in Portugal, but yeah, of course, I'm Brazilian and my heart is in Brazil too. Yeah. Well, it, we had talked with Marissa Silva a few weeks back. I think she was she's still in Portugal, but of course she's now most of her times over in England. Uh, so it's great to be able to represent Portugal with multiple guests uh, within a oh, probably about a one month period. <laughs> okay. If you could, uh, Ricardo, just take a moment to say hello to the listeners, introduce yourself to them, let them know a little bit about yourself. Okay, wonderful. Uh, so. Um, my name is Ricardo, as Joe said, and um, my, my whole career is all about uh, project management. Okay, so uh, and uh, the, my early the early start of my my career was I would say um, into the software area. So 
I was working with Microsoft, so I was one of the representatives of Microsoft uh, in Brazil. And uh, of course, uh, at that time, the key things of Microsoft were Microsoft Office, Excel, uh, you know, Windows, Windows 95, and and this kind of of products. When Microsoft was releasing a, a tool for project planning. And this was the seed of what became Microsoft Project. And at that time, I was a student of engineering. Then Microsoft was, of course, not not as big as it today. And they invited me to say, do you want to study this to help us to promote and explain this to our clients? Because you are an engineer, you know a little bit of technology. And this is how I get into the pro. And then I start, it's something like you learn Excel and then you start trying to understand what's the mathematics behind. So this is how I gave my first steps. And my whole life is about project management. So from my uh, entrepreneurial uh, life in Brazil, where I built one of the largest project management consulting and outsourcing companies in Brazil, to uh, consulting in, I would say, more than 80 countries, to 15 books, to uh, my master's and my PhD, also with topics, sustainability in project management and PhD, the master's in earned value project management, to being volunteer of PMI, to become chairman of PMI in 2009. So my whole life is all about project management. So it's it's very interesting uh, to be uh, to have the opportunity to be in this show because I think it's it's very interesting for people to understand the different uh, histories, the different paths that people took during their lives uh, using the same, I would say, the same foundation that is the concept of project management. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, as I was getting prepared for the show, I was like, man, where do I start? There's Brightline Initiative, the five-minute podcast, chairman of PMI, United Nations Office of Services, the Project Economy, an MIT certificate, volunteering in a PMI chapter, a consulting firm. How do you have time? Yeah. How do you prioritize, right? Because we as project managers understand the importance of priority. But with so many things involved in your career, how do you prioritize what you work on? Oh, that, that, that's a, a fantastic question. And this is a question that I received a lot. The, the first thing, it's um, you need to walk the talk. So if you are telling people that you need to connect ideas to reality, because for me, if we go to the seed, Joe, of what project management is about, is any technique, any method, anything you do that helps you, that help you to bridge this gap between what you have in your mind and your aspirations uh, as a corporation, as a government, as a person, to the results. And I always had in my life and my career the desire to drive my career as a combination of projects, like a portfolio of different experiences. So uh, just to give you an example, at Brightline, I knew that was for a limited time. That one was a project that PMI assigned me, entrusted me to deliver to them. Mm -hmm. So I did that. The UN was the same. So I had an expectation to stay, I would say, from two to three years. I stayed five. So and this and this sets and why this? Because in a career and, and for me, what is very uh, critical 
uh, if you want to succeed in your career uh, as a project manager, as a project leader, is that you need to look for different experiences because only the experience will allow you to see and to recognize and to create patterns that are not necessarily in books. Mm-hmm. And this is what I decided. And I am, uh, just to be absolutely honest, I am extremely well organized. Okay, I'm extremely. So everything on my agenda is very organized. So I plan my activities. I plan what I need to do. And this is why uh, I would say I can do different things uh, at the same time. And of course, uh, I, uh, there is another point that for me, I think it's the if you go deeper on uh, into to my perspective for work, you you will see that uh, maybe by listening uh, to my voice or the way I speak, you, you see the passion. And, and many people think, oh, this passion is because you are Brazilians and this Latin bloody. And no, it, it's not. Of course, there is a trend, but I really I feel so fortunate because. I love what I do and I make my living out of that. So, you know, it's just the perfect. I was listening to you talking about Shaquille O'Neal and I'm pretty sure in their business, it's the same. I'm pretty sure that a very big component of Shaquille O'Neal's success story was his passion for playing basketball. And this is like for me. So, for example, being with you today, Talking about this is a pleasure. And this is why many times, Joe, I don't talk about, and I'm not very comfortable about talking this concept of work-life balance. And and why this? It's not because I'm I'm a workaholic. No, it's because when you think that there is a work-life balance, you are in some way saying that when you work, you don't leave. So you need to stop working to start leaving. And for me, at the end, there is only life. So this is just to give you some highlights on on why I can do uh, so many things. This passion component. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned the work life balance uh, within the PMO squad. You know, as we work with our clients and our employees, we we say the world has it reversed. It's supposed to be a life work balance, not a work life balance, and we always should put life first and work as part of it. And therefore, the balance Absolutely. the balance just happens Absolutely. because you, you're prioritizing what comes first. Uh, and I'm Absolutely. a similar mind as you, right? I, I I found my purpose, right? My purpose, like you, is is project management and everything related to it. So I don't I don't have to do anything else because project management is so rich. There's so many opportunities for us that we can come in and run a podcast. We can run projects. We can start an organization. We can build a global community. And there's there's enough bandwidth there for all of us to go do that. Yes, absolutely. And and for me, one of the key things, if you see the steps of my career, for example, as an entrepreneur in, in, in Brazil, and then as an international civil servant at the UN, these are two quite different experiences. And But this brought to me, uh, I would say, a different perspective about how you handle projects. For example, at the UN, the projects are driven by a very uh, strong sense of how you can improve people's life uh, through rebuilding cities after a disaster or war-torn countries. And on the other side, on the the for-profit environment, is how you can help your client to save money, to be faster. But at the end, 
both have the same intention, is how we can do more and more efficient things we want to do. Yeah. And, and this is the sense. I'm with you. And in all of that, uh, Rob wraps into the project economy, right? We had Antonio Nieto Rodriguez on a couple of months back, and we talked about this as well. It's it's understanding that the world we live in is driven by projects, right? Everywhere we look, you can look to your left, you can look to your right, up, down, no matter where you look, there's a project there, right? Everything was a, is a project. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Antonio... Uh, uh, put this uh, perfectly. Antonio is a great friend. And and what is is important today is that uh, the concept of routine, uh, it's it's now uh, machine-related work. It's not, we, we, uh, all of us, we are paid uh, to think, we are paying to have critical thinking, to solve problems, you know, to think, to innovate. And these are all project-related. So Corporate operations are now a set of projects. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care too much if you call them projects, initiatives, or whatever, because I know, for example, that some uh, groups uh, on on the more uh, agile spectrum they they don't like the word project. I I don't care how you call it. Right. For me, everything that connects ideas to reality, I call them projects. But you you can call whatever you want. But this is the reality and. Uh, Scrum, the PMR, Prince, whatever you use are just tools to help you to get there. Yeah, it's all delivery, right? I think uh, in Brightline, they've got the the 10 guiding principles, right? Acknowledge that strategy delivery is just as important as strategy design. We, it doesn't, doesn't mention project in there, but there's an idea that has to get delivered. And whatever you want to label that, who cares? Just, yes, just, absolutely. And we did that with an intention. Why we remove the word project? And, and we did this in the, because many times when you go, and this is this is what I'm sharing with you, it's 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 sad, is that many senior executives, many C-level executives, and this was the root of Bright Life, they don't think project management is strategic. They think that generating ideas is strategic. Right. That envision the future, but they don't think about their ability to execute. You know, they think about, okay, oh, let's think about cars that fly. Okay, someone needs to create that car that will fly. It's not a drawing, it's not a slide deck, it's not a good pitch. You know, between that idea and the reality, there is a massive gap. And this is why, for example, so many startups fail. Why they fail? Do they fail? Most of them that they receive, I would say, uh, uh, seed funds, and they have excellent ideas. The problem is your ability to execute them. This is where I would say the pain uh, resides. And and if you don't care about that, uh, you you don't transform anything into reality. And this is why we face so many dramatic challenges today in corporations, governments, because it's hard to get things done. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, it, the conversation Antonio and I had, I think is going to mirror a lot of this conversation, right? Because we're so like-minded. And it's so obvious once you understand it. But there is a giant leap, right? From I'm just a project manager delivering a project to this project is part of something bigger and we're trying to accomplish something bigger. 
how how do you when you speak with project managers how do you help them understand that they're not just doing a project right that there it's a oh, bigger man. thing no this is first now now it's becoming easier for me okay in the past it was a little bit tough if i go back to the time i was preparing for my pmp exam this was 1998 okay 23 years ago Okay, quite a while. Uh, and at that time, what was a successful project? Was the project you deliver on time, on budget, respecting the scope. This was success. Mm-hmm. And people didn't care. Didn't care. Okay, is it useful? Is it deli- Does it deliver? No, no it's, it was on time. It's a, it's an irrelevant thing I'm doing, but I'm doing it on time, on budget, you know, managing the risks. Yeah. So what, what happened? Uh, it started happening in, in the uh, uh, 2000, 2005, and now it's pointless for you to deliver on time, on budget, something that is, re- is irrelevant. Right. And this is why, for example, I am so happy and I'm one of the biggest advocates of what happened with the PMBOK 7th edition. Mm-hmm. And the PMBOK 7th edition, that principles, that set of 12 principles, they are for me like gold because it's something obvious that people don't do. And the fourth one is focus on value. So now for me, it's, it's very easy because I say every single minute you are doing a project, you need to keep your mind all the time. Am I delivering value? It does this... Is it still something? For example, I'm developing a new feature of a software. Does this deliver value to the customers that they will be willing, I would say, to subscribe or to pay more or to improve advertisement? At the UN, my biggest challenge, it's, it's a challenge to put bricks and build a hospital. It's a challenge in, in, a, in a war or in a, in a very complex environment. However, the building itself, that was, I would say, our role, uh, is just a piece of a far bigger. If I build a hospital and there is no doctor, there is no road to access to the hospital, ambulances cannot get in. So what I'm I'm building a hospital, but what is the the value when people go there And they have medical assistance. This is the focus on value. So you need to all the time think. For example, when we, uh, 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 during my five years at the UN, we did this a lot. So every time, for example, we received a request from other UN entities or governments to to build something for them, we always work together with them to say, who will operate this school or this clinic? Who will operate? Who will give maintenance? How it will work? How it will work? Is there uh, energy? And this, it's not just a simple construction, okay? Because we did a lot of construction. And, and this is the concept of focus on value. And this is something that is changing dramatically. And this, uh, Joe, is a fantastic change for good because now it's a great opportunity for, for you, for me, and for everyone that is listening to really leverage our profession. We are living the basement of something like people put a paper and you deliver something uh, to be part of the true value chain. 
You know, the true value chain. People are increasing subscription on my uh, website because that feature that we developed during that sprint delivered the value to the customer that created that. So now it's a little bit easier for us to, I would say, to explain, despite of the word becoming far more complex today. Yeah, and this message uh, for everybody listening, I, I, I hope this is so clear, right? Uh, I think it was three years ago, I had Dr. Kersner on the show and I asked him, how do you measure project success? And he said, it's simple. Did it provide value to the business? Why do we have to, why do we have to overcomplicate this? We had Antonio on. Antonio, how do you measure project success? Did it provide value to the business? Right? Your answer, value to the business. Fatima Bucci, who's an agilist out of Australia. Fatima, how do you know if if the agile management office is providing value? Well, did it provide value to the business? I mean, everywhere we go, everywhere we look, the answer now is, are we providing value? And the question for you related to that is, how do we now overcome 50 years of the iron triangle and the mindset that executives have of, is it on time and is it on budget? Right. And, and getting them to understand it doesn't have to be anymore. It's what you just described. It's all about value, but we have to overcome as an industry, right. As a profession, we've had this barrier that we've been fighting against. And I guess maybe that's why the bright land initiative came about, but what's your thoughts on how do we overcome that? Yeah, absolutely. This first, this is not easy because it's, it's very easy to talk about something, but not very easy to really do something. Uh, What I think are the key players on this first, the institutions are key players on this. Uh, For example, uh, PMI is doing a massive effort on that with bright line and Every, uh, several other organizations on the agile uh, spectrum are doing dramatically effort on that. I think that new generations are coming in with a different mindset. Of course, it, it takes time. It takes time. But uh, but now what I see, mainly in the past five years, and even more with this COVID uh, time, is that it's now a matter of survival. You know, it's survival. Let's stop uh, controlling things that are just irrelevant. And let's focus, okay, what can we do to really deliver that? If you don't deliver, for example, why, for example, we see a massive challenge in the uh, the retail today. Mm -hmm. Why the retail is suffering so much? The problem is that they are becoming unable, that model, is becoming unable to deliver value to the current customer that is different from the customer of 25 years ago. And COVID just, by putting everybody at home, COVID just helped this to happen. So it's a a natural progress. Maybe what the retail will see, maybe uh, 10 years uh, uh, down the road, will be far different from today. So professions are changing. Uh, Joe, probably, you had the same challenge I have. Even today, my mom does not know exactly what I do for a living. You know, she she knows, oh, Ricardo is an engineer. Uh, Ricardo is quite successful. He's able to pay his bills and this. But if I ask her, mom, can you explain what do I do? Uh, She does not know. 
because this is something that is is new. If I if I told her, "Mom, I'm a doctor," or she will got it yeah. immediately, or yeah. I'm a lawyer, or I'm an engineer, it's very easy. But now, what is happening? Young generations are becoming more and more aware that project management as a profession. And I need to to give you a, a, another aspect. I'm writing uh, just for you to know. I'm writing my next book will be written with Professor Kessler. So ah, nice. are, yeah. he's co-author of, of a Willey book that will be released. No, it's it's ready, but it's now with Willey, so it will be released early next year. And and we and this aims to younger generations on that for people to use project management as a life skill. Because project management is a life skill. You don't need, I'm, I'm not, uh, many times, and this is why PMI now is talking about these change makers. It, this is exactly, we, we, we are not now, Joe, uh, talking about, oh, you need to work with project management, have this. No, you can be a lawyer and apply principles of right. project management. Absolutely. To improve. And this, then, if this happens, then we'll have really the project economy bumping and growing dramatically. Yeah, I, I have the conversation probably every year around Christmas time with my parents about asking me to help them fix their electronics, right? It's, hey, the computer's having a problem. Can you come over and fix it? And it's like, I'm not a computer person, right? I'm a project manager. I have been for uh, for 20 years plus. You're right. They don't understand that generation can't make that leap, right? They can't connect the dots as to what we're doing. And I love what you said about COVID too, right? I think it's it hit fast forward on the economy about a decade to make Absolutely. us to make us have to do business a different way. And what we found out as people, right, in this life work balance is that the thing that's most popular or most important to us rather is our time. So retail has had to change because I want that package delivered to my house so I don't have to go to the store. Therefore, I have better use of my time. I'm going to work at home rather than driving into the office because I can still get all my work done and be more efficient with my time, right? And it's changed the way that that the economy is evolving and delivery actually becomes more important because we're not as connected. So it's harder to actually be able to deliver in that disconnected world and they need those skill sets to do it. So I, I think we're, we just hit fast forward as like going back to the future, right? We got, went into a time machine and got sent forward uh, at least 10 years. I agree 110%. I think that we, we, I would say we warped the time, you know, the time just changed. So uh, for example, what we expected to happen in three, four years in retail happened in three weeks. Right. You know, nobody was thinking about buying vegetables or grocery uh, online, you know, and I do it now. And now, for example, in Portugal, we, uh, uh, everything is open now. So it's uh, almost normal. But, you know, my habit changes forever. Right. You know, I, 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 I buy pretty much everything online. Unless if I want really to have an experience or to talk to someone. But why I would do that if I can just go online and buy in, in three seconds? And this also is changing, Joe. I, I'm, I'm using the retail because it's an obvious example. But this is changing. Education. How we deliver education. Uh, I'm saying from at all levels. Uh, how do we evaluate uh, uh, work? I, I, I said this last year and I want to to. To, to say to you that 
what we are facing and looking for, it's a completely shift on the working relationship uh, where you get paid by month, by week, by day, you know, by time. And, and, and I think that there is a big trend that you'll be paid by deliverable. You know, if you if you're working Saturday, Sunday or whatever, it will be different. And also the concept of um, geographical dispersion is different. For example, most of the projects I do today, Joe, they engage people from everywhere. Mm -hmm. In one day, I am capable of walking around the world. For example, last week I was very early in the morning uh, uh, talking to Petronas in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Then I spoke in Brazil. Then I spoke in Seattle. This is the same day. Then I spoke in Frankfurt. Yeah. Okay? And this is one day. Right. So, you know, different people from different... And, and this is the new way we do business. You know, it, it, it's a different. And this is happening to everyone in every type. And, and this is far more dynamic. And project management is, I would say, the underlying foundation for you to be able to execute work under this, I would say, unstable environment with very clear deadlines and very clear targets and objectives. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And, you know, obviously we have a lot in common uh, in our belief systems here, but we're also very different. Of course, we have different paths. We're all on different paths, uh, different geographies, different countries. Uh, but we also have another thing in common is we both have an executive certification from MIT. I found out uh, I was there in 2009. You were there in, in 2010. So we just meet, yeah, missed each other by a year. That, that would have been nice uh, coincidence. Yeah. Uh, but we but there was Arnando Hacks, right, and as one yes. of the instructors there and has the Delta model. And I, I talk about this often with people, I don't use the Delta model term because sometimes people get lost in, in terminology, right? But I talk complementers versus competitors and the difference in, in, you know, Coke and Pepsi. Everyone thinks, you know, competitors. And I'm like, no, they're actually complementers, right? They both have to be successful for the other to succeed now. But what, yes. what did you take away from continuing your education, right? It didn't stop just with an undergraduate degree, right? You've continued to move forward and continue to go and for our listeners out there, I talk all the time about continuous education and training and not stopping just because you're in a role, right? You have to be prepared and continue to grow for what's next. Yeah. Uh, 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 Joe, uh, this, this is, uh, I think every, every single one of us, um, we have different stories. But um, for me, I come from, I would say, a quite simple family in Brazil, okay? Uh, and I wanted to succeed. And and the only thing I had it's because my both parents uh, they were teachers at the middle school, and and uh, I don't know exactly how it is in the U.S. But in Brazil, when you are a teacher, usually your kids uh, they have uh, you know they don't need to pay the fees, the tuitions for the school, you know. So you get I would say uh, this free free top education, so they can go to a private school and. That. And this was, I would say, the main uh, the main competitive advantage I had in life, you know, and say, you know, I, I cannot miss the opportunity 
that I have to study. So everything I have today, uh, I owe to education. So I have a very good education in the back. And then these became something like, for me, knowledge uh, is your biggest asset because the knowledge and what you know, uh, you will never lose unless you have a disease that makes you unable to, I would say, to think properly. Uh, it's yours. Nobody will tax it. Nobody will say, oh, I'm taxing people. Oh, no, because you are smart. Then I tax you. Or uh, nobody will put a customs. If you move, for example, I move it from Brazil to Denmark and then to they will not say, oh, let me put you on an X-ray. Oh, no. OK, no, it's too much knowledge. I need to tax you. So, and this is your ability. I would say you're portable. So what I do, I have two uh, uh, things in my life. The first one, uh, you you need to be humble uh, to know uh, that your past success is not an indication of your future success. Mm -hmm. So I wake up every morning and Joe, um, I need to, to tell you, I am very successful in what I did. So I built a company from scratch in Brazil. I sold it with 1,600 employees. This company now has 25,000 employees in Brazil. I built it with two partners. So I went to the UN. So I have, I would say, in material aspects, an excellent, excellent life. But I wake up every single morning feeling that I'm facing starvation, that, you know, that I'm, I need to certify, I need to study, I need to learn this, and I need to learn that. And I spend, and this goes to the second, around 10% of my time studying and learning. Mm -hmm. And I spend 10% of my income studying and learning. So I spend money and time learning. So I have a roadmap of what certification, for example, this year I did, this was a very big challenge. I did IPMA level A, that is the top level in Europe for IPMA. I did, uh, I did I'm doing now a discipline agile. I attended five or six conferences. This is some, because we never know the future. So you need to be equipped. This is why, for example, MIT, I did in 2010. You know, and, and this is something you, you should never, ever feel that you are good enough that you don't need to learn. And this, just my final, is the biggest mistake that many CEOs have because they reach out the top that they think that they, they don't think that they are God. They truly believe that they are gods and that they don't need to anything. They have something like a magic way of, and, and they fail because they don't see the changing environment. So you need to be exposed to that. Yeah, I, I love that. 10% uh, of your time and 10% of your money on education. I, I think that's a, a great benchmark, right? For all of us to Find our number, right? Maybe it's not 10, maybe it's five. Yeah, I spend this is about a month, a month, a year. Yeah. And I do that. And I do that. If people count, I do because I'm very well organized. So I really have a roadmap of things I want to learn. Yeah. Every year. And this is great for me because I put every one of these shows into my learning category, right? I, I sit down with you. I sit down with Marissa Silva. I sit down with Antonio Nieto. I sit down with Fatima. Oh, Boca. yes, absolutely. All these absolutely. are learning, right? Yeah. And, and all right. So here's a, a, another uh, change in direction for you, right? So uh, as you talked about, you're the first Latin American chairman for PMI. 
PMI is in the midst of some change right now. Of course, they came out with the new PMBOK, but the president, right, he's, he stepped down end of the year. So we, there's, where's PMI headed, right? What, not that you have any inside information on this, but where do you think they should head? Right. What's okay. The, what's, okay. What's the next yeah, this, direction? This is, this is uh, of course, what I'm what I'm saying to you. It's it's what I'm thinking because, uh, of course, I, I don't have inside information. You know, first, uh, my relation with PMI is uh, in some ways uh, different because uh, PMI played such a key role in my life that I will never forget. Mm-hmm. I will never. Mm-hmm. So I have a really a love for PMI and and love for the professional and I want the best. And I truly believe that if we look up a PMI strategy and I, I'm looking deep, okay? I'm not looking on one specific offering right. like this. Yeah. Looking deep. That PMI need and it is working hard to improve that pond. Imagine PMI community is a pond. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and a pond. And the pond has fish inside. But when you start fixing your attention only to that pond, you, you miss the opportunity to see other ponds that are maybe creating over time. Yeah. So it's the time. Brightline was that. Brightline is that. Is how you grow your circle of influence, how you grow and connect to other ponds. So the fishes that are the members, the PMPs, the credential. They can move to other ponds and they can deliver far bigger value. And and this is the concept that PMI brought with the change makers um, and all these challenges. For me now, of course, the the biggest expectation that I have as a volunteer, as a member, is now the execution, right? It's okay, I bought it. Change makers, let's improve the pie. Let's work with more people. Let's embrace, embrace agile. Okay. But now let's execute and, and, and let's get real uh, towards that. And, and this is where the challenge is. And I'm sure the board of directors will do, uh, I would say, the best and the best. I know them and they are great people. They will do the best to, to make sure that this strategy will be proper executed. So I, I think, and, and, and PMI uh, has a massive community. So it's a massive circle of influence. So when you think about 14,000 uh, volunteers, so it's a massive influence that we can play in this industry. Yeah, speaking of the different ponds, one of them is the the citizen developer pond, right, that they're they're working to build now. We've got uh, our next show, actually, is going to have Sam Sibley and Matt Hubbard on, and they're going to talk about citizen developer. I'm kind of skeptical if that's a pond they should be moving into, but it's a, it's one we should have a discussion about, right? And make sure that people are out there aware of. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, honestly, it's on my bucket. Okay, so if we recorded this, uh, this show, <laughs> I would say a couple of months uh, in advance, I would be more able to talk about citizen developer because it's, it, I, I'm planning to do it this year. Okay, and why I'm planning? Because, I don't feel comfortable about talking uh, about something that I don't know. Right. Okay. That I don't know. Uh, but I believe that citizen developer is a kind of application of the project management to one specific arena that is technology, software development. It's how people can utilize their skills into develop. Like, for example, if we go back in the past where 
PMBOK has an extension for oil and gas, an extension for construction. So I see uh, sit and develop as, uh, I would say, this extension towards technology that is a big trend. But I am not the best person to say, yeah. oh, this is, this is, if you want to talk about bright light, I can talk <laughs> forever with you. But sit and develop is something that I need to, to, to explore more uh, to give you a, a, a strong opinion on that. All right. So let's switch switch gears again and, and go back towards education and early in your career, right? So we we get a lot of input from people who are early in their career and they listen to the show because they want to hear what how other people traveled their journey. And maybe that gives them the courage or the confidence to to travel their journey and build their future. Education was very important, as you mentioned, but you I'm assuming you didn't start out your career as a project manager, right? How how did you get to be a project manager? What was that path oh, for you? Okay, okay. So um I was studying chemical engineering, okay, and one of the disciplines was operational research. Mm-hmm. And I was a very good student. And at that time we were talking about critical path, you know, how do you find the best path? And that time, but, but not talking about uh, projects, but uh, about the math. You go backwards, forward, you find the free float, total float, and you do this in a quite complex environment, trying to identify that options. And this is at the same time, what I said at the beginning, combining, because I had during my, I would say the 10 first years of my career, a strong presence of Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I started my, my career, the first job I had in life. I was 17 years old and I was an instructor of Windows, Word, and Excel. At that time where people were training to yeah. know what, what Word is about. So I was at that time, this was, I would say, uh, 1990. 1989, 1990, you know, this, this at that time. And because I know for the young people, they say, how, how does someone <laughs> can make a living teaching work? You know, this yeah. is a very, very easy job. But at that time, it was different. So with that and Microsoft releasing, this was, I would say, a trigger. And a trigger with my engineering skills to leverage this with the construction companies in Brazil. So this was the spark. And I was, at that time, founding my company, the company I just told you, with two partners. So at that time, that company was a software reseller. Two partners, they built a software reseller. The time that software was sold in boxes, Mm. okay, in boxes. Then they invited me and said, we want a partner to work with education. And I know that you teach because I used to teach for another company, the first job. And then I came to join forces with them. And then we started all the services. And one of the services, I said, why we don't take Microsoft that is really putting a lot of effort on Microsoft project. And we try to, I would say, in some ways, dominate that market with the knowledge because I'm a chemical engineer. I'm finishing my course. And and this is when... PMI appeared in this. So, you know, and then we, we start taking that as, as a path. So, and then, of course, I started uh, my career uh, also 
combining two things, my work and volunteer. And one of the best benefits of, for example, becoming a volunteer of PMI, it's, of course, do the good for others. This is fantastic. But also, by doing that, you are doing an extremely good for you. Because I know so many people, you improve your network, you know people, you know the trends, everything. And then, at that time in Brazil, I was able to apply that and, and bring, I would say, Brazil forward and bring in the opportunity. So this is where everything started. You know, where everything started. This was, I would say, 1995, 1996. And then I joined it. I, I founded PMI uh, uh, chapter in, in Brazil in 1998. Then I got uh, became mentor in 2001 or two, board member 2006, and chairman in 2009. You know, and so this was, I would say, the, the journey. Well, and you've, what I hear, the deeper thing I hear there is you recognized opportunity and didn't run away from it. And I think oh, a lot absolutely. of people, yeah, a lot of people in their career, right? That's, hey, do you want to take on this project, or do you want to move to this organization, or can you move to a different department? And there's comfort in staying where you are, but oh, understanding yeah. the mm-hmm. opportunity and the risk, you can, you can have great rewards if you just take that chance, right? Joe, Joe, what what you said, it, it sounds like magic for me because this is exactly one of my favorite books. It's called Disrupt Yourself. Mm-hmm. by Whitney Johnson. And this book is a 2015 book, but this book is so close to what I believe about career. And, and it's it's something like, imagine an S-curve, okay? You start your career where you were not able to be, I would say, a ultra-productive profession, but you are learning. So you, you don't produce too much and takes a little bit of time for you to learn, to learn how to work, to learn how an organization operates. Then you have this very strong inclination where you do a lot of things, you learn a lot of things is when your career, I would say, move. Mm-hmm. Up to here is all normal. I would say normal, I would say career-wise. But then there is a point where the inclination start to to decrease and you reach a plateau. And this is what, what Whitney calls mastery. Mm. And the problem we face today is that when you reach this mastery, you start to be in the comfort zone. And most of the people reach that mastery and they go with that mastery forever. Right. This, this brings two risks. The first one is that you don't move. Okay, you, you, you don't learn more but brings today a massive second risk is that in the past, you would be able to survive by just keeping the flow and stay there until you retire. Today, someone will just break your life and (laughs) suddenly, you know, you, you, you have nowhere to go. So what does she say is that when you feel that you are on this master, it's the time for you to be brave enough to jump, to, to, you know, to, to remove your support and jump to something different that will allow you to do another cycle and grow and then another cycle and grow. And this is what she calls disrupt yourself. I did this many times. Joe, do you have an idea of what, just to give you one example, I learned English at the age of 22. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have, I have a good education, but because we didn't have money, I learned it only this poor English at the school. Okay. Very basic. So it was extremely hard for me to learn English. Extremely. You know, it was very painful. And imagine for me with this Brazilian living in a traditional state in Brazil, take my wife and my two daughters and move to Denmark to work for the United Nations, mm. making 10% of what I was making, reducing my salary for 90% because I wanted to do things that I believe and to learn different things. And suddenly you, you go to north of Europe in a completely different weather, environment, culture, you know, and, and this is scary. But at some point you need to jump. And this was the best and the worst experience I had in my life. The best because the life experience, uh, the opportunity to help people. And the worst was because all the projects I did was all surrounded by suffering, by violence, by war, mm. by people dying. And this is a very hard psychologically to take. And this was one of the reasons why I left. Because at some point, you, you know, it, you, you, you just lose your faith, you know, on, on yeah. everything because yeah. you see so much suffering. But, but this, it's sometimes you need to jump. You need to jump. And people are fearful and they try to hold on their current life. And they... And they are not aware that this current life will collapse at some point because technology, because everything. This is, and this, uh, Joe, is related to one study we did in 2018 at Brightline that originates the People Manifesto. The People Manifesto that Brightline published Mm -hmm. was exactly that. One of the biggest obstacles for transformative initiatives, it's people. Why? Because people act on their own best interest. So most of the time, you you don't move or you don't promote disruptive change, not because lack of money, not because of lack of technology, but because of lack of people's interest. For example, I am the manager of one physical store and you are doing a, a transformation that will reduce uh, stores. I'm afraid of losing my job. So what I will do, I will do whatever I can. Right. But these do not happen. And this is just one example out of hundreds and hundreds that we can use. I love disruptive change. And if I'm thinking back to all the different guests we've had on the show, and and certainly nothing is an an absolute, but almost no one started out their career in project management, but they've all ended there in some capacity. They all were willing to take a risk somewhere on their journey. They stepped outside their comfort zone and they ended up in a better place. It may not have been smooth. It may not have been easy, but they got rewarded. And I'm not talking rewards in dollars and cents, right? There's many ways you can be rewarded for taking that change. And, and I just hope all of our listeners, right? You just know that, man. I mean, I never, I didn't start out thinking I'm going to host a podcast. Here I am four years later and I'm talking to these great people around the world building relationships that are going to last a lifetime, like you've talked about with the UN and PMI and others. This was because I was willing to see an opportunity, take a chance and go after it, right? It, uh, and this is what I ask everyone when, I, when they ask me for some mentoring advice. I'm like, first thing, know who you are, know your own journey, but then also be willing to identify an opportunity and take the risk to make it happen. Another thing that you mentioned that I picked up on, right, is you started your career teaching, 
you edu- value education and you have a, a tremendous commitment to that, but you also still teach, right? I mean, it, and it may not be in the, the sense of uh, in a classroom, but you're doing these, all of your podcasts, right? Or is, they're teaching. You, you've never stopped trying to help educate others. How, how has that been important to you and why, is that, why have you continued to do that? Yeah, I, I want just to expand this teaching to a concept that for me, it's it's very important and it's becoming more and more and more important. It's, um, it's very hard for you to succeed alone. You know, it's very hard for you to say, I am successful if everybody around you, your society is just collapsing. So, uh, of course, I... I cannot save the planet and this I don't I don't have this expectation but at least I can share what I know the failures the success and whatever I have to younger generations so they can learn and they can do things with that you know that could help them this was the idea that generates the podcast when I started in 2007 nobody was talking that podcast exists Mm-hmm. Every single week since then, I recorded a five-minute talk. Why five? Because it's the size of a song. And I record in a very simple way. It's just thoughts that I have that week and share. And what I tell people is that if you like to listen, if you don't like, just delete it. You know, I don't care. You know, it's just if you like, you like. If you, If it's not useful for you, just delete and move on. And, and with that, it's like some pills of reflection that over time, after 500 something, you know, and, and, and millions of views, uh, these became helpful for younger people, uh, the videos and this. So I love uh, doing that. And I'm now ultra concerned in my life about legacy. Mm. For me today is more important. I think I did a lot in my life. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm old, but now I think it's my time to see how I can multiply uh, my desire, my love for getting things done to many people that can carry this over to future generations and improve. This is why, for example, I record, I, I do a lot of things, a lot of things for free. You know, I have videos on YouTube and this that I just do. And I do because I believe it's the right so the podcast is one example. So this series, I did a series. We are talking about career, Joe. And one of the things that was most rewarding for me in my life was last year. In the middle of COVID, um, my oldest daughter, that is now 22, she was 21 at that time. Uh, and she was uh, finishing uh, her college, close to finish. Uh, she studies mechanical engineer at Imperial College in London. And she was here with us during the covid and she came to me crying and said that I'm in trouble because all offers for summer jobs, they were shut down because of COVID. And it's traditional that you take the summer job on the third year to get the job in the fourth year. It's like a, a, yeah. an experience. So if I don't have that, I will not have a job. And then I start talking about my, my life. You know, when I was young, all the challenges and the And then suddenly I said, you know, I should not talk to you about that because you are so privileged for being 
with us, having the law. But, you know, I, I need to talk to more people about that. And this is why I decided to create a series. And uh, a series, it's on YouTube, called What Matters. It's a series of four episodes about career. Mm. And, and it's not that I changed my career. I'm, a pro, I'm not a career coach, nothing. But I said, I need to do that. Several people asked to sponsor, and I didn't accept. I put the money from my pocket. And I put on YouTube for free for anyone to watch. And I said, this I did for my daughters and for their friends and for other people, because, you know, we need to change this mindset. And this is why, for example, I do this podcast with you. You know, I don't do this with an expectation of someone listening to this to uh, contact me to do business. You know, I'm very happy with the business I have today. You know, I'm not looking for more, but I'm looking uh, to sensibilize, you know, one of your thousands and thousands of listeners that maybe can listen to this and spark something and do something good. Then I'll be realized with that. Yeah, that's why I do the show. It's why I continue to do the show, yeah. right? Is I've said it many times, for me, they're, they're a personal mentoring session that I know everybody else is getting the same value out of. Because Absolutely. people who are successful and willing to share their story have no idea the impact that they make in the world because all you need to do is change one life and that life Absolutely. and that, that will ripple. Right. Yes. That's perfect. Now we've, uh, again, every time I say this, I think on every show, but boy, time goes by fast. We're, we're at our hour. We've kind of hit our mark here and Ricardo, we've covered a lot of ground. I want to thank you of course, for coming on. Is there anything that you wanted to touch on that we didn't get to yet today is, is uh, and then also how can people get in touch with you if they want to uh, learn more about yes you? absolutely first i just want to thank you for uh, allowing me the platform to to talk and to share my ideas people can follow me on linkedin on twitter so i'm very easy rv vargas you can find me on on social media a uh, very easy i try to publish as much as i can okay on podcast and there's everything i find interesting i put there really with the intention to help but uh, but my final thought is that we we really need to change the mindset the word is, is all these changes with covid they came to stay it's not something that is a thunderstorm that that you know it will change tomorrow no we need to live and learn how to live in this different environment. And this different environment is a project environment. Like or not, you will need these skills, no matter what you do, no matter what your job is. And for us as project men, this is the biggest opportunity ever for all of us. And this is what I want to finish with. That's fantastic. Now, Ricardo, thank you so much. Uh, of course, thank you to all of our listeners. Without listeners, we're down to show, right? So it's great that people keep coming back. Be sure to visit projectmanagementofficehours.com to check out all of our past shows and guests. Uh, for upcoming shows, I mentioned the next show in November, we'll have Sam Sibley from PMI and Matt Hubbard from TrackVIA. They're going to be talking about the Citizen Development Program. And December, we're going to have Chris Ronzio, who's the CEO of Trainual on, to talk about the power and impact of playbooks and how important that can be for your business and your project. Also, a reminder, these shows, while they're live, they're also recorded. And be sure to subscribe to Project Management Office Hours podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your platform of choice is. And thank you, of course, to our sponsors, the PMO Squad, the premier PMO consulting firm in the U.S., and the PMO Leader, which is the global community. 
for project management leaders to come together and gain knowledge, wisdom, information, services, and learning all related to PMOs. That's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Management Office Hours with PMO Joe. You're not alone in your project management journey. We're here to help you achieve your goals. Subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform to catch all of our episodes and hear industry leaders share their story and secrets to success.